Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And with me today, I have Dr. Thompson. Dr. Thompson, welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, sir. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your life, marriage, ministry, and what ministry products you're working on? Sure. I'm, um, I'm the principal of a theological college or seminary in Sydney, Australia, um, and I've been teaching at this college for about 30 years. Um, I'm married uh, to Catherine, and we have four daughters who are late teenage, early 20s. Uh, so that's an exciting time of life to, to be part of. Um, and uh, at Moore College, which is the college that I train at, it's a college that serves the Anglican Diocese of Sydney, which is an evangelical Anglican diocese and has been for many, many years, uh, Bible-believing, reformed in theology, those sorts of things would characterise us, committed to evangelism um, and part of really the GAFCON movement of calling Episcopal and Anglican uh, churches all over the world back to the Bible and to what God has to say. Uh, we served that diocese and, uh, uh, and here I've been teaching very largely in the areas of systematic theology and Reformation church history for many years my doctoral research, which seems so long ago now, um, was on Martin Luther and the Doctrine of Scripture. Oh, wonderful. So, wonderful. so Martin Luther has dogged my life um, <laughs> over the last 30, 40 years or so, but it's a, it's a great joy, and I love being part of the college. I love seeing people get excited about God's Word. I love watching people grow as Christian and go out from the college right around the world sharing the gospel. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, you, you've written a very helpful book. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it, the Doctrine of Scripture, introduction, why you wrote it, and how you hope it'll be received, brother? Sure. Um, it's a, a, a contribution to a series of books uh, called Short Studies in Systematic Theology. And uh, so it's meant to be short and uh, bite-sized in a sense, but an introduction that takes people into the Doctrine of Scripture in a way which will give you a, a confidence and a foundation. I wrote it because what I want people to do is to, uh, at the end of the book, when they closed up, be more confident in the Bible they have in front of them than they were when they opened it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping that this will be used by God to encourage people to take his word seriously, to understand that uh, his word is coherent and true and effective, and I'm hoping it will be part of a larger movement of encouraging um, a new wave of biblical Christian thinking in the Christian churches. Mm, so good. I, I I love that. And I love the book. I think that it's really, really helpful. We need, we need more books like this that are, that are easy to understand. Um, the doctrine of scripture by and large is in, in a lot of ways, an academic conversation, as you know, and you know, it's good to be academic. I'm not minimizing that, but we need <laughs> good books for the average Christian in the pew because they're getting, I just say it this way, they're getting slaughtered um, out there on, on a lot of the issues that, you know, I think we'll talk about here today. And so I I'm sure that's, that's right. I think I, I think, think, too, 
if you know a subject well, you should be able to explain it simply. Yep. Um, and so there's no excuse in my book really for um, an academic book being inaccessible. Mm. Uh, the Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul uh, still stand out as the greatest theologians in the history of Christian faith, um, and uh, they were teaching people who were illiterate, uneducated, and mm. you know, Paul wrote to Romans not just not just to the intel- intelligentsia of Rome. This was to the church at Rome, mm. um, and so if that kind of profound theology can be expressed simply and clearly. That's what we ought to be aiming at. Whether or not I've uh, um, reached that goal, that's what I'm aiming at. Amen. Well, I, I really appreciate the book. Uh, why does it matter uh, that our conscience is captive to the word of God? You know, this will be right up your dissertation, you know, alley there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Luther's great stand at the Diet of Worms. Um, I think what's, it, it's important to say that nobody has a right to bind your conscience more tightly than the word of God does. In other words, we God is, because of who God is as our creator and redeemer, because he is the Lord um, of all of life, not just mine but of the entire universe, um, what he has to say is um, not only true but is uh, helpful and nourishing of life. And so actually following him and following his word is a way to life and blessing and uh, growth. Um, And the the alternative words that are pushed towards us uh, actually don't tell anywhere near as good a story. Don't don't actually give us anything. They they give us second-rate versions of reality to what God's word does. So actually being captive to the word of God means saying, I belong to God. This is God's word. Um, I'm going to follow that, come what may. Dear Martin Luther stood in front of, you know, what would be probably the United Nations and all the church's representatives together, that's the equivalent today, and said, I won't budge because this is what God said. Mm. And he has proved to be right. Yep, yep, so good. So good. Well, um, why is discovering who Jesus is and what he has done as revealed in the scriptures so vital to a right and sound understanding of the doctrine of scripture? Well, thanks. That's a great question because I think what I'm trying to do in in the book is to say um, being a disciple of Jesus includes having a particular attitude towards the Bible. You can't separate out your following of Jesus and your attention to the Bible. Um, And I know of and have heard and read many people who say, you know, I'm Christian, I follow Jesus, but, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not really fussed about the Bible, right? There are parts of the Bible I don't like. Well, if I'm following Jesus, one of the most important things I need to know is how Jesus wants me to look at the world Mm. and how Jesus wants me to look at his word. So what what was Jesus' attitude to the Bible of his time? So what uh, I want to encourage people to see is that Jesus is at the centre of our doctrine of Scripture. Mm. So follow. the reason I take the Bible seriously is because Jesus took the Bible seriously. Amen. Uh, the reason I submit my will to the will of God um, as imperfectly as I do is because he perfectly submitted his will to the will of his heavenly Father. Mm. And so um, I want to follow his pattern of dealing with the Bible. Mm. Now, the Bible in Jesus' time, is the Old Testament as we have it. And he's constantly appealing to the Old Testament in order to understand who is, who he is, to understand his mission, to understand who we should be and what we're part of and what we should do in the world and what God's purposes are at the end. Mm. 
Mm. Uh, he, he pushes us back to look at the Old Testament. He endorses the Old Testament, if you like. Yeah. But he also commissioned the New Testament mm. because the, the, the apostles are commissioned by him and the mm. apostles are at the centre of the New Testament writings. Mm. Uh, even those that weren't directly written by apostles are closely associated with recording for you the apostolic message. So mm. Jesus endorses the Old Testament, commissions the New Testament. He mm. stands in the middle of the Bible. Mm. So uh, so in the end, following Jesus means taking seriously the Bible that he took seriously. Oh, that's, that's so good, brother. So good. I'm just like, yes. In fact, in the in the United States today, we're, we're seeing, um, you know, um, I don't mind naming names, Andy Stanley, for example, trying to separate uh, Jesus from the Bible, which is, you know, as we know, German, uh, the, that's what the German higher, uh, lower criticism did in the I think it was uh, correct me if I'm wrong. 18th century, um, off the top of my head, and and that's just that's just wrong. You can't separate, as you're saying, and you're arguing based on you know uh, John 5:39, Luke 24. That you can't separate Jesus from the Bible. Jesus is everywhere in in the Bible. You know that's why we have to faithfully exposit the Word of God, and then I always say responsibly. You know because you got to do the acts of Jesus, and then you got to responsibly point people to Christ from the from that text, you know, meaning that you're expounding the text and then you're pointing people to, to Christ from that text after you've expanded, not just, oh, here's Jesus in this text, you know, like you know, yeah. we make it up. But yeah, like to your point, it's so, it's so, uh, that's so, uh, such a good thing that you're saying. I mean, and we need to, we need to say that louder and for the people in the back too. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. And I, I think what you're saying, what what you mean by exegesis, I think, is you're just carefully reading the text, yes. paying attention to what's actually written in its context. We don't need big, high-faluting theories about how, you know, I've got textbooks on my shelves here of uh, thick books on hermeneutics and hermeneutical theory, and I want to say, yes, I can understand what you're trying to say, and I benefited from those books. But Really what we want to say when we talk about exegesis and hermeneutics is read the Bible responsibly. Mm. Read it in its context. Read what's actually there. And don't let some imagined historical background that you've reconstructed actually run over the top of the text. What If this really is the word of God, then God has given what we need to know to understand it in his word and by his spirit. Mm. That's good, brother really good you write on page 39 for jesus questions of faith and faithful discipleship are settled by god's word you know in in north america and probably some other parts of the world we're seeing many people do the opposite of this and and deconstruct from uh the faith and and do so largely in my my view because of their view of the bible um so how can we help others in our local churches learn to do what you say well here on page 39 i know that's well, a large I think question it is a very large question, um, and there's a lot going on because I don't think when people, as you say, deconstruct from the faith, I don't think that's always entirely an intellectual activity driven by intellectual doubts or confusion. Um, it's very often driven by my lifestyle choices. So uh, there are things that I want to do uh, which the Bible would uh, tell me I ought not to do, and so I find a way of justifying that. 
And my way of justifying that is to somehow dismiss those parts of the Bible as irrelevant or dated or um, fulfilled in Jesus in such a way that they no longer they no longer matter. You know, so now that Jesus has come, what God had to say in his law is all wrong. Um, so, yeah. In the most extreme cases, you'd say, well, hang on, murder is still murder and God is still against the taking of life, isn't he? So he was yeah. before, he is now. Um, that Those things have not changed because Jesus reaffirms what God's word says. So I think um, in the end, there's lots going on in deconstruction that's more than just intellectual. Mm. But I think the way in which I would tackle the question is to say, actually, look at look again at Jesus. Jesus is the the most impressive person in history. Mm. Uh, you look at him and see who he is and what he's done. Now, as you look at him, how does he explain who he is mm. by his appeal to the Old Testament? How does he understand what God's great purpose is in the world? He mm. goes to the Bible. Mm. Um, Jesus actually takes the Bible that seriously. So I want to convince people that Jesus, again, that Jesus is worth trusting. And if you trust Jesus, then trust what Jesus said about the Bible. Uh, in the end, God, if this is God's word, which I believe it is, God's written word, that's how Jesus understood it. Um, Jesus understood the Bible to be, the Bible of his day to be um, the written word of God, and he commissioned his disciples to take his word, his word to the nations. If that's what it is, God is not caught by surprise by the latest developments in our culture or in science or anything like he never has to correct himself because yeah. he never got it wrong in the first place. Mm. You know, he's not surprised by what we've discovered about human nature or anything else. God's known that all along. And in the full knowledge of those things, God has given us this word. So we can be confident and, and in the light of that, I think. But I'd go for, again, I'd go from Jesus showing people that if you really do trust Jesus, then it, you cannot disentangle him from the word because that's how he wants you to understand him. Yeah, yeah. that's that's really really good. And and the approach that you're, uh, I like it because it's not there's not a one size fits all approach like a cookie cutter approach that you know many Christians take. It's it's taking into account what the person is going through, and that's that's very pastoral and wise. And then applying the right medicine after you've understood what what's happening uh, with the person. I think yes, I think you need to ask a lot of questions. Yeah, and find out you know what is it that is troubling the the person because it might be, uh, it might be uh, the failure of the church towards them. It might be that they've been hurt um, by their experience of God's people, and they read that back onto the Bible and to Jesus um, unfairly, I think, because we're all imperfect, and uh, where where we've made mistakes and hurt people, we need to repent. Um, it might be that. It might be, um, you know, their own sinful desire. Mm. It might be. Uh, it might be an intellectual issue that needs to be wrestled through. Yeah. So you need to find out what is the particular issue. But in the end, I want to draw people's attention in each of those cases. The Lord is the one you follow, not the church. In the end, your feelings and emotions and uh, your desires need to be disciplined by what God has to say because God's way is healthy, right, and good. Mm. Um, and uh, in the end, um, your intellectual questions are not too big for God. He's quite happy for you to ask him questions and to, and his word gives you the answers. You just need to keep digging. Amen. Really good. 
Well, how can we help the average Christian in the pew understand and learn to appreciate the Old Testament? I think the reason why people struggle with the Old Testament sometimes is because they don't see the whole of how it fits together. And so they take parts of the Old Testament, just pick them out and just drop them on today and don't understand um, how that word fits with you know, what we're doing um, in, in the 21st century. And so I think one of the best ways to help people understand and appreciate the Old Testament is to get a sense of the whole of it, to get an understanding of how the whole Old Testament uh, fits together and how there is a, an unfolding progressive revelation of God's will and purpose right throughout the Old Testament leading up to fulfilment in Jesus in the new. And so uh, what we call biblical theology, the idea of how the Bible fits together um, is you know, really just enables people to look at individual parts of the Bible in or the Old Testament in a new way hmm. because you can see that um, the story of Genesis is, you know, God's promises being given and God's promises starting to be fulfilled as Abraham and his family become a great nation, etc. And you can trace the way the promises are fulfilled in the Old Testament and how God's people fail and how those promises are pushed back pushed into the future uh, to the great deliverer who's to come, who is the Christ. Mm. So I think the big picture of the Old Testament helps you to see the individual parts of the Old Testament. But again, my my rather uh, repetitive answer is to say, come back to Jesus. Yeah, Jesus in the first century is 10 centuries later than David. So there's 10 centuries of difference between King David and, and uh, the Lord Jesus. And yet Jesus takes the words of David, seriously. He doesn't think they're irrelevant because they're 10,000, uh, you know, 10 centuries old. Um, he, and so that gap there, we can see Jesus appreciating. He understands that the same God who was David's God is his God. If that's the way he uses the Old Testament, that can be an encouragement to us. Mm. So um, I want people to see the Old Testament as Jesus saw it, see it as a whole, and then see how the individual parts fit in that whole. Yeah. And there, there are great resources to help people with that and lots of great little books that have been written on how the Bible fits together um, that, that you can get hold of. That's, that's really good, really good. What is a red-letter Christian and why should we be concerned with this movement towards believing, quote-unquote, that only, only the red letters of Jesus today? That's interesting. I mean, my Bible doesn't have red letters, interestingly. Um, that, and one of the – I joke with my students to say the reason my – my Bible does not have red letters is because I believe all of it is inspired, um, that the words of the Apostle Paul are the words that um, the Lord wanted him to write. He was creatively and consciously involved in writing them. It wasn't as if his intellect and personality were bypassed in any way. The Apostle Paul writes what he wants to write to the Corinthians or the Ephesians or the Romans, um, but what he writes is what God wants him to write in the end. And what he's the final product is the inspired word of God. Now, I think that is just as true for the words of Jesus. So the words of Jesus are the words of God to us, but so are the words of Paul and so are the words of David. And so I wouldn't, there's, there's not as, it is not as if the words of Jesus carry a special authority that his apostles don't have because he said, he said to them in the Great Commission, all authorities in heaven and earth have been given to me. You go and teach them what I've said and what I've taught you. 
And so um, he gives his authority to his apostles, which is why the Apostle Paul in the beginning of his letters makes such a big deal about the authority he has as, as an apostle because it's not something he came up with. It's not something a group of people conferred on him. It's something that came directly from Jesus to him in his great commissioning on, on the Damascus Road. So his words are authoritative, just as Jesus' words were authoritative. So when Matthew goes and makes comment about what Jesus was doing that's in the black letters in the gospel, um, that is the word of God to me every bit as much as the red letter bits where Jesus speaks. Mm, so good, brother. Really good. Really good. You know, it seems to me like many Christians today, they, they want to use the word inerrancy in contemporary books on, on the doctrine of Scripture, and that's good. But um, I rarely see much mention or even discussion of, of, an, of the mention of infallibility today. How does a good understanding of Scripture's infallibility help strengthen our understanding of the doctrine of Scripture? That's a really intriguing question because for most of the history of Christian doctrine, infallibility and inerrancy were almost synonymous. You use the language as that it is infallibly true, right? It doesn't fail to be true. But the idea of in, I think, mid-20th century really that separated out the effectiveness and um, the capacity of Scripture to always accomplish its goal from its truthfulness, the separation of those two has been disastrous. But I want to say both things. I want to say it's absolutely true. The God who stands behind his word never lies, is never deceived, and is never ignorant. Mm. He's, so what he says is true. Mm. And what he says will accomplish what he has intended it to accomplish. Both inerrancy and infallibility are true. So I want to affirm both for that reason. Say God's word will do what God has intended it to do. Isaiah 55, you know, God's word does not proceed for him from, from him and, uh, and be unfulfilled. It will accomplish what he designs it to accomplish. Yeah, and that'll be yeah. salvation for some. Yep. And for some, it'll be a confirmation of their hard-heartedness and judgment. Yeah. I, I, I really like that. I, I think the, one of the things that it does is you have people that say that the Bible is without error and then they functionally deny it. But then yes. if, you, if, you, if you have a good understanding of infallibility, not, not that we would distinguish. Well, we would, I guess, like you're saying, we would distinguish between the two just to explain it. Um, but what it, infallibility does is it strengthens our understanding of the Bible as a whole. And it's not only, you know, without error, it's without the possibility of error. So it cannot err. Um, it cannot be contradict. It doesn't have any contradictions um, because, because of the reasons that you just said. So. I think it. I think it does buttress and strengthen our our view of the scripture. Uh, I think that's true. I think it's also true that you, that you want to say that infallibility. Uh, the infallibility of scripture means that um, I can trust this word to accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. Mm -hmm. So I can actually have confidence to rely upon the word of God because it will do what God has intended it to do. Mm. Um, I don't have to somehow supplement it yeah. or anything like that because what I've got in God's word is what will accomplish God's purpose. So I think I, I want to be able to affirm both of those things and say, in the end, it's no good confessing that the Bible is inerrant if you're not prepared to obey it. Mm. The real test of whether you believe inerrancy is not whether you sign a document that says the Bible is inerrant. It's whether you're willing to have your mind and life changed by it when it, when it challenges what you're thinking and what you're doing. 
In the end, does the Bible win or you win? That's the real test. Mm. Love it, brother. Love it. Really good stuff. What is the what is the sufficiency of scripture and how should it affect the Christian life and ministry? When you talk about the sufficiency of scripture, which is you know, historically people have spoken about um, the importance of uh, the sufficiency of scripture. We don't need um, church hierarchy. We don't actually need a guild of scholars to tell us what the Bible means. We've got the Bible. We've got what God wants us to have. He gives us teachers. He gives us his spirit. All of those things are God-given gifts to help us understand his word. But we're not imprisoned to a a church magisterium or to an academic guild. And those things don't um, uh, are not necessary in the sense that if I've got the Bible and if I've got the spirit of God and I've got a local congregation of God's people where he has gifted people to teach me the Bible, I've got the resources God's given me. Right, yep. to understand it. So the sufficiency of Scripture needs to be understood, though, in terms of its purpose. Because whenever you talk about the sufficiency of something, you've got to say sufficient for what? Mm. The Bible's not sufficient to repair my car. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not sufficient to guide me in the intricacies of, um, you know, brain surgery or something like that, because that's not its purpose. Um, the purpose is to actually equip us to live faithfully as servants of Christ. So um, to Timothy 3, um, the, the, uh, all the scripture is inspired, but why? Um, in order that the servant of God, the man of God may be equipped for every good work, be complete and equipped for every good work. That's what um, scripture is designed to do. It's designed to equip us for that role. So it's sufficient for that task. When we try to say that um, the Bible tells us everything we need to know about Middle Eastern history in the 10th century. Uh, we actually are trying to squeeze, you know, a square peg into a round hole. We're trying to make the Bible do what it was not designed to do. It was not designed to be a global history of the 10th century BC. It touches upon the history of 10th century BC for the purpose of shaping us to be faithful servants of God. So sufficiency needs to be tied to purpose, and the purpose is that we might believe and live as faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus. Mm, that's that's good, what I'd really. say. That's good, really good. What is the clarity of Scripture, and how does it affect the Christian life and ministry? The clarity of Scripture is, in a sense, can be boiled down to a confidence that um God's very good at communicating, that God's word actually is its own interpreter, that in the end, because we have the whole of the Bible, not just little parts of it, uh, we've got in the whole of the Bible the way to understand the bits of the Bible, the parts of the Bible. And so the clarity of Scripture means that um, I can come to the Bible confident that God has something to say to me and I can understand what God has to say. Now, it doesn't mean that parts of the Bible are not difficult. Some parts of the Bible are difficult. Paul says, I'm oh, sorry, Peter says that there are some parts in Paul that are very hard to understand. And if they were hard for Peter to understand, no wonder they're hard for me to understand. So uh, there are parts of the Bible that are hard to understand. And there are parts of the Bible which need other parts of the Bible for you to fully understand. So as you're looking through the Old Testament, which is pointing forward to that great day um, when Jesus comes, in the midst of the Old Testament, you might not know all that you need to know. You only know here is a promise and it will be fulfilled in the future. 
Uh, my favourite example of this is the Ethiopian eunuch. So the Ethiopian eunuch in, in, in the book of Acts is travelling down the road and he's reading Isaiah 53, the great prophecy of uh, the suffering servant. Does he understand what is written? Well, he understands that somebody is going to suffer and he understands that this suffering is going to be for other people. And he asks Philip, who is this person who is going to suffer in this way? What he, he can understand what the text is saying, but he doesn't know who it refers to until he gets the last piece of the puzzle, which is who Jesus is. Mm. And Philip tells him who Jesus is. And now he understands what was happening in the past. Because we've got the whole, we've got the Old Testament and the New Testament, that we're able to say that the Bible is clear. Not necessarily simple. It's going to need some hard work. And the more familiar you become with it, the more easier it is to understand. Um, but it's it doesn't require something outside of itself in order for you to be able to understand it. Yeah, it's really good. You know, we're living in a time when biblical literacy is on the rise. I'm sure it's an issue there in Australia, yeah. here in America. It's a it's a big one. Um, what advice do you have for the average Christian on reading and studying their Bible? Well, uh, get into it. Start with do it. You know, that's the first thing. It's, it's really easy to talk about how hard the Bible is and therefore not to read it. Mm. Um, but, you know, and start with the Gospels. Work, you know, start from the centre. Everything has been pointing to Jesus. We'll start there and then and then move out from, from the Gospels. I'd do that. I'd also try to get hold of some of those resources that help you see the whole of the Bible together. They're not, uh, they're not things that are going to, um, they don't, they're not necessary things that you can't read the Bible without. But since we've got them, we might as well make use of them. So there are good books, I think, of um, um, over here in Australia, Graham Goldsworthy wrote book, a book called Gospel and Kingdom. Vaughan Roberts from Oxford, Oxford uh, popularised that and, uh, and wrote uh, God's Big Picture. Um, there are, and there are a number of books in the States on uh, biblical theology, how the Bible fits together. They can help you to see how the whole fits together so that as you're reading the parts, you can put the parts in that bigger picture. That's but really start good. with the Gospels, move out from there is, it would be my advice. That's really good, brother. Well, where can people go to find out more about you, either on social media or otherwise? I mean, well, I'm not sure you really want to find out much more about me, but if you want <laughs> to find out more about me, I think you'd find it on the Moore College website. So that, that's the place. I, I tend not to be on too much on social media. Life's too short. I've got too many other things to do. So I'm not really on social media, uh, but more colleges and the more college website would be the place where you'd find out more about me if you wanted to. Sounds good, brother. Well, you know, there's a lot uh, that we could really say and talk about. And and we've only, as I always say, scratched the surface on all these topics, believe it or not, yeah. everybody. Uh, just as we uh, wrap up, sir, can you give us a few takeaways? Well, um, God has been very good in giving us his word. It's a good gift. So we need to have confidence and trust the fact that this is God's good word. It's not meant to restrict us in life. It's not trying to oppress us. Um, those people who cast the Bible as oppressive or restrictive have not really understood the message of the Bible. Mm -hmm. God's word is his good gift to his people, making himself known and his purposes and how we fit into those things. So have confidence in God's good word. And the reason you can have confidence in the Bible that we, that we have is because of Jesus. Mm. He's the one who looked to the Old Testament 
and commissioned the New Testament. He's the one who uses the Bible. When he's in debate with the devil, what does he say? It is written. He goes there to settle the debate. When he's talking to the Pharisees who are opposing him and he seeks to try and persuade them, he says, have you not read? Because he expects they should have read. Jesus points people to how the scriptures are fulfilled in him. Again and again, Jesus points people to the Bible. So if you're a follower of Jesus, then you'll be paying careful attention to the Bible. You can't separate those two. If you're not taking the Bible seriously, you're not taking Jesus seriously. Mm, so good, brother. Well, uh, thank you so much, Mark, for your for your time and for this great book. Everybody, the, uh, the book is The Doctrine of Scripture, an introduction. And as I've said on many of these interviews on when we've interviewed authors on the short studies and systematic theology, just go ahead and get the rest of those. They're very good, easy to understand. Uh, also, the short studies in biblical theology, very good. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for your time and the, and the great book that you've written. Thank you very much, Dave. Great to be with you. Great to be with you. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.